0: Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, May 2nd, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Dave Floyd, founder of Aspen Trading. Dave, it's a great day to have you on the show. Whiplash trading sessions in US equities happening today. We got a 3% print on US 10 year treasury yields. Looks like everything closed out the day positive, but what a roller coaster getting there. Dave, you trade these markets. What are you seeing? What are you thinking right now?
1: Wow, it's a loaded question, Ash but. good to be back. Good to see you. Um I, like I said to you before we came on camera, I don't think I've seen an s and p session quite like this either in a long time or ever. and not not in terms of the volatility, but maybe the kind of the characteristics under the hood. I mean, the volatility w- was insane. I mean, literally right out of the gate this morning, we had massive moves up, massive moves back down that took out the lows of the day. To make new lows, and then we've lo and behold, we've rallied all the way back to close positive on the day. I mean, if you're a trader, insane opportunities, insane opportunities, albeit you needed to be nimble. Um, you know, Brian and I were talking even before we got on as well, and you know, he was saying, you know, what's kind of going on here? And again, it's this lack of liquidity in the S and So it doesn't mean you can't get orders done, but the number of bids and offers on uh, in the market. Is pretty you know, it's pretty minimal. So it doesn't take a whole lot of selling or buying to kind of move the market up really quickly and then move it back down.
0: Um this is the idea of market depth. You've got very thinly traded markets. There you go, market depth. That's the better
1: that's the better word to use. Exactly. It's kind of there is no depth to the market depth right now. It's it's really bizarre, but it's been like that for a long time. It's just getting accentuated right now. In fact, at the Real Vision Macro Conference, I was talking to Mike Green about this because he was the one a couple of years ago that started talking about the way the structure of the market is. This lack of liquidity or this lack of market depth, he thinks it's going to continue. So, for you know, for traders like myself, I welcome it. Yeah, it has its pitfalls. Every once in a while, you get your hand slapped pretty badly. But um, you know, to get sixty or seventy point moves in the S and P's like in under a half an hour, I mean, it's insane. Um, for investors, they got to start coming to grips with the fact that if that market structure and lack of depth continues, you're going to have to you're going to have to plan for a little bit more durability in your portfolio.
0: Yeah. Uh, by the way, we should say S&P 500, lowest levels of 2022 earlier today. Uh, and NASDAQ also, I mean, look, we're up 200 points on the day, uh, yep. 201 spot 38, NASDAQ closing at 12,536. That's up one spot, 63% on the day on this whiplash day when we saw that early uh, capitulation. The one thing
1: I'll add that I think actually, you know, from my perspective, based on what I look at, I think the real trigger- Um, for us to get the reversal early in the morning, we got the the move lower out of the gate, and then right around 6.45 west coast time, 9.45 back on the east, we had that big rally up. And then we had that big rally up off the lows of the day. Those both came in when the VIX reversed. I had the VIX futures at 32.89, big, big resistance level that it hit twice today. Each time it hit that level, that's what sent the S&Ps higher. So, you know, a lot of people are getting all excited about the volatility and the VIX is going to go higher and higher. People need to remember the VIX is a mean reverting instrument. It can stay in the 30s, but usually very briefly. If you look at a long term chart of it, the spikes up into the 30s, low 30s, mid 30s, they don't last long. And, you know, selling volatility into that, which is something else I did today, I sold some call spreads on the VIX to take advantage of that uh, because. Yes, we might stay Dave, volatile. Unpack that trade for people because
0: it's a really interesting one.
1: Unpack the the dynamics of that in terms of what that means.
0: Yeah, just the mechanics trade. of how that trade works to sell volatility. Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean it's pretty straightforward. I mean you're using an options contract, but the general premise is this: if you look at the VIX, it, it tends to be a mean reverting instrument, meaning that it spikes up certainly and spikes down to a lesser extent. Tend to be followed by you know, some retracement of that move. So when you get these big volatility spikes up in the VIX historically, they don't stay there very long. Prices migrate back down or what one would call mean reversion. When those spikes happen, the volatility, the prices of the options get pumped up really high. So as an option seller, I want to sell those options when the volatility is really high because the price is pumped up. Now, I'm not going to sell these things naked, because I think that's a really dangerous strategy or potentially. So all I simply did was sell a call spread. Calls were bid up in price because of the volatility. I sold the call spread, collected the premium, and hoping to buy it back at a lower price, because most of that premium is going to get sucked out of that options price if and when. And the VIX has already started to come in. Yeah. You know, prices have already started to collapse. Now, I've got time. And price in my favor. I already collected basically the high of the day in terms of the premium. All I need now for the next couple of months is for the market to go sideways or sideways to down, and I'll end up keeping a chunk of that premium. You know, you usually don't get all of it, but you're gonna you'll catch capture a fairly decent amount if time and price move in your favor.
0: Yeah, indeed, to your point, Vic's off four uh, percent on the day right now. Looks like I'm close to 32 flat, 32 spot oh one on my screen. Yep. Yep. So so far, a good
1: trade. Again, something happens overnight. Putin lobs a nuke, or something stupid. You know, the VIX can go flying right back up. But normally, absent some exogenous event, the market seemed to carve out a pretty meaningful low today. I mean, who knows? And if it stays that way, the, the VIX will probably come in over the next few days, next few weeks.
0: Well, in that case, we probably have much bigger problems than call spreads.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's the least thing I'll be worried about. But that's also the reason. You don't want to sell those puts naked because if something really disastrous did happen, yeah. you have unlimited risk. I'm happy to take the upside cap. I'm also happy to take the you know the downside cap as well, and that's the price you pay for trading spreads. You you limit everything on both sides, but you go to sleep at night worrying you're not going to get your head ripped off.
0: Dave, explain what that for first the mechanics of that, how you do it, and secondly of what that risk reward profile looks like, how you get capped on the top, capped on the bottom.
1: Well, the mechanics of the trade I put on, um, I, I'm using the front, munch, front month VIX futures, and for me, the um, the 32 call made the most sense to sell based on you know time decay, based on a variety of things. So that was the first leg. So I, I'm selling that 32 call and collecting that premium. I'm sorry, 28 call. I, I apologize. The 28 call. I sold the 28 call. And then, so you
0: sell the call. Selling the call is selling the right, uh, but not the obligation to buy. So it's a short position. Short position. I'm expecting
1: that that 28 call is going to be worth less by the time I go to buy it back. Now, to hedge myself, I'm buying a 32 call as well. Same same month, uh, same instrument, but I'm buying a 32 call. So that's going to cost me some money. But I sold the call for more than I bought the 32 call, and I keep the difference, which is that
0: premium. So that's how I'm hedged. So it caps you out on the top side, but it also puts a floor under your trade, so that you're not naked. You can go and cover if you have to.
1: Exactly, exactly. In fact, I've got the trade up over here. Um, yeah, you're in
0: front of the screen. Let's take a look. Yeah, I mean it's a
1: um, well. I'll pull up. A, I'll pull up a chart of the of the S and P's right now. Now the one thing you have to realize, it's a little bit of an asymmetric um, payoff here. You know, my payoff per contract is one hundred and eight dollars. And my max risk is basically about $295. So you're, you know, you're risking three times more than you're making. Um, and you know, some people may look at that and say, "Well, why would you, why would you want to take that trade?" You know, that is a risk you take. It, it's asymmetric to the downside. I'm only going to collect a third of what I'm risking.
2: Um,
1: but by and large, when you're selling the premium up at these levels, you're historically you're going to capture something on that trade you're very likely and again unless the you know the world blows up tomorrow the odds of me going losing everything on this trade not losing everything but losing the maximum amount is really quite slim so now it really becomes a trade management thing and this is where it gets a little difficult it's not just about price moving lower you need time in your in your favor which i do because i'm an options seller so time is in my favor i've got that time decay or theta as they call it theta, yeah um, so as long as those things move in my favor this trade will be just fine but i can assure you that i will not hold it till expiration absent something really amazing to the upside meaning that the s&p's are just rallying like there's no tomorrow there's going to be a sweet spot in there and it's usually you know Two to three weeks out before expiration is when you usually want to close these things out, because there's not much more juice you can take out of them. So that's the one thing that people don't realize about options. It's not just simply set it and forget it. You do have to manage it based on volatility, based on time, and of course, based on price. And that's where it gets a little tricky. Uh, The key thing is, of course, not overpaying for an option and not selling an option that's too cheap. So I think I checked most of the boxes on this particular trade today. And, you know, we'll see how it plays out over the next few weeks.
0: We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Yeah, those really are the key variables. When you look at the mathematical models, the so-called Greeks, it can be a little bit complicated, obviously, uh, when you look at those formulas on the page. Uh, But you break it down very simply. This is about price. It's about time. It's about volatility.
1: Yep. Yeah, and that that's that's pretty much the ingredients. The key thing you need though first is you've got to come up with an inflection point in the market. It's not just saying, you know, I think the vol- I think volatility is gonna dry up over the next week. Or, you know, let's say the next two months. You know, I, I think doing these weekly options is frankly not really a good use of one's capital. You know, I think you need to be 45 days out or more, kind of hit that sweet spot. But let's say just say you come up with this random thing that you say, you know what, I think volatility is gonna decline over the next month. Well, you might be right, but unless there's a catalyst that then allows you to get that premium at the level you wanted, let's say you're wanting to sell a call spread, you're already one, you're kind of one step behind the eight ball, so to speak. So for me today, like I said, 3289 was a big, big level in the VIX futures. And what I can do now, I can actually pull up the VIX, well, I'll pull up the S&P chart first if the the guys back there want to pull that up or um, allow me to show the screen. Yeah, let's do it. And then uh, we'll work from two charts. We're going to look at the S and P chart first here, and I have got to put on my glasses. It helps me see better. So sorry to say that, but uh, um, this is you know the the second move down we had this morning. This red line that I've got right here just is just simply saying this is where we we put in a low. Now when we look up at the VIX chart, we're going to see that prices actually when the S and P's were carving out this low. The VIX was hitting that resistance level at 3289. That, to me, is an area where I want to start getting long the S&Ps, and or, if I've been looking to sell that call spread, sell that call spread. I didn't sell the call spread on the first go around, but I did on the second go around later in the day. Um, but you know, from an S&P trader's perspective, and I know we're looking at this after the fact, but I can assure you this all unfolded in real time just as I'm talking about it. Once, right. the S- once the VIX hit 3289 and kind of chopped around a little bit, you had to be a buyer of the S and P's. You can keep your stops fairly tight, although fairly tight in this market's probably ten points, given the way they're moving. But look at the massive move we got. We went from 4111 all the way up to like 4165 in, in hardly any time. And then, as you said earlier on, we made a new low on the day. But guess where this new low was put in? Right when the VIX was again hitting 3289. And the I mean I again I have not seen a move that quick that you know ferocious in quite some time. So again you're combining two markets. Now the really awesome trades that happen on occasion is that you get the VIX at a level and you get the S&P's at a level. I didn't have that today, but I had the VIX at a level that allowed me to go in and navigate longs in the S&P's. There are times though when the VIX is at a level, and this here is actually a level. This is this here is just a frame of reference so that folks at home can see it on their screens. Um, what was interesting though, and we, I want to go back to that depth of market conversation we were having earlier, we had a tremendous amount of buying on this move up here. Tremendous. I mean, the bids just kept being refilled. There was, there was nothing on the offers. It just, <laughs> it was a perfect stair step higher. What was really interesting though is that even when this market started to move lower, you know, for the first 10, 15 minutes, there was aggressive buyers in there, but they were being overwhelmed by this selling, what you call, you know, people placing orders on the bids, which is what I would call, you know, aggressive buyers. They're they're loading orders onto the books versus just passive selling at the market. And eventually, they get overwhelmed. And that's what You
0: could explain that, the distinction between passive selling uh, and entering these limit orders. Uh, passive selling at market and bidding, uh, uh, because I think it's, it's something that people probably who are not uh, involved in this at the level you are struggle to understand a little bit. Well, you,
1: you just hit upon it. The keyword is at the market versus I'm putting in a limit order. or I, I'm on the bid at that price. And so people that are on the bid at a particular price, they keep adjusting that. You know, because they're very bullish. Let's say in this case, they were very bullish on the way up here. They kept, you know, raising their bids, raising their bids. You'd see it at every level. Each time we traded higher, the bids would follow back up. Well, when we started falling, when we started trading back lower, those same bids were still there, but they kept buying in at lower prices, buying in at lower prices. Oftentimes, what happens when you reverse is those bids just fall away. They didn't fall away today. So that's that's what I would call the quote unquote aggressive buyers. They were being overwhelmed by the passive sellers, which is basically market orders. Just boom, 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 just sell, sell, Get sell. And fill sell. that
0: market wherever they're just they are.
1: getting filled. So for a while they absorbed it, you know, they took a little bit of heat, and then eventually they just walked away. And then it what what I'm saying, why this was interesting to me and anybody watching it at that granular of a level was that. This whole move, lower, initially was being absorbed by buyers, and eventually, they just walked away. They were just like, shoot, you know, we thought we had it here. Again, I'm speculating what people are thinking. Thought we right. had it here. We rallied off the lows of the days. Let's keep buying. It's probably just a dip, and eventually, they threw in the towel. But then they came back and did the same damn thing on the close. Those aggressive buyers just kept on the bid the whole way up. Um so again, that's more market dynamics, and I know maybe a lot of viewers, especially you know swing well swing traders. I should take that back. Swing traders would do themselves a little bit of justice in watching that type of action because it does give you clues as to what's happening. Yeah. You know, from an investor standpoint, this is a blip on the radar. You're you're probably your eyes are glazing over. But anybody out there short-term trading, be it stocks or S and P's, because stocks take their cues from the S and P's, this is the kind of stuff that can give you edges. You know that's what gives you the edge on knowing when to sell the call spread, or knowing when to buy the S and P's, or knowing when to stand aside. So, right, you go from very objective technicals to, you know, observation mode, which is why I still think a human being has an edge in this market. A computer can't do all that. It's you know, it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it, it is. It's it's really interesting. You mentioned this idea that longer-term investors um, aren't necessarily thinking these terms. But if a long-term investor is watching this show, they're looking at that and they're going, "Boy, I'm looking at those green candles at around whatever, whatever time that is. I can't really see it. It's think about two. Yeah, uh, I was on the other side oh, when that. When yeah, this is right in
1: the last hour and a half.
0: Yep. Yeah. So uh, around uh, you know whatever it is, 12:30 uh, <laughs> or so. Uh, uh, it's around 2:30. Uh, 2:30 New York time. time. Yep. 2:30 New York time. You you see that those green candles just stacked. Back to back to back as the bid keeps getting uh, hit and keeps getting entered at higher levels as that price rises.
1: Yeah, I mean, I look at it this way. I also kind of throw it out there as a as a thought for some people. You know, if you've got somebody who's longer term investing, you know, they're watching their portfolio. They're not doing a whole lot. You know, watching this kind of stuff can sometimes give you the opportunity to to sneak in a trade there. And again, I'm not trying to downplay like, oh, you sneak in a trade like it's nothing, but that's a massive opportunity right there, you know, from 40, 60 to 40 that's 100 points in the S&P's. Even if you traded one micro contract, which is 5 bucks a point, that's $500. You know, I mean it, it I mean this volatility is insane. There are opportunities there. And if you're trading S&P minis, which is 50 bucks a point, you can do the math. 5 grand. Again, you're not going to capture the whole thing. Nobody does. Anybody who tells you that's you know, whatever they're they're on a different planet. But if you can isolate the areas where there's inflection points, you can either maybe help you know maximize the entry point on a stock you've been looking to buy, or maybe you're a swing trader in the S and P's, and you're like, you know, I want to get long. It feels as though we're making a low here, and then you see this type of price action with the VIX hitting a resistance level. Ding, ding, ding. There's your you know, there's your signal. Even though you're not going to trade it. You know, short-term trade it, You gave yourself an opportunity to pick up the S and P's cheaply today because you actually think they might go back to, let's say, forty-three or forty-four hundred. Because you've got a different time frame.
0: And Dave, that's very well framed, very well explained. I'm not a day trader myself, but it's just fascinating to just walk through this for what it says about market mechanics and what it says about uh, the ultimate levels of demand in this market.
1: Yeah, or, or lack of at times when you have the lack of market depth. Um You know, I think one of the things that Mike Green talks about, and he's talked about it in a couple of different interviews here is this whole market structure. Brian and I talked about it before before we came on camera i I think we got an idea here where we might be able to put prepare Mike and I on the same screen and and do an interview regarding this because he understands this, and for me, what he's talking about actually creates sustained opportunities because if this lack of liquidity in the market uh, prevails, which he thinks it will. That's gonna keep the market volatile for a very long time. And um I don't think we should all be scared by volatility. It can be uh it can be your best friend. I mean it's a it's a trader's best friend. Right. But I think it can be an investor's best friend too, if you know what it means and not get spooked by it.
0: Yeah. Uh, very well said. Dave, what else are you looking at here today? <laughs> that was all I could
1: look at today, Ash. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I mean <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to keep an eye on 10-year notes. I keep thinking that they're going to be a buy, but good God, I don't know. Um, I, I can't even venture a guess there. It's just been a complete disaster you know, for anybody holding um, Treasury notes, Treasury bonds, or anything fixed income. Um, I think- the takeaway for me, independent of all the granule granule stuff that we went into today, is that maybe right. we we might have carved out a little bit of a short term low today. That was pretty damn impressive. So that would be the takeaway for me. Is that maybe I'm kind of leaning bullish coming into tomorrow? I know we've got the Fed on Wednesday that could throw another monkey wrench into it, but. I'm just going day to day. I try to show up each day with a narrative as to where I want to be in the market. Am I bullish? Am I bearish? And if so, above and below which levels? So, but maybe, maybe your question goes back to something we've talked about a lot in the past: is that you know what else are you looking at? It's like, whew, there's not much else you need to look at. You know, right there, plenty of opportunities alone in the S and P's. And I bet you, if you were interviewing somebody who's trading stocks, they could say, hey. I had more than I knew what to do with trading Apple today, because I'm sure Apple was all over the place. I'm sure Amazon's, you know, all those high flyers. And if you ask them the same question, they'd be like, I don't know. I was trading Apple all day long. I couldn't take a look at anything else.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at uh, the Apple chart pretty pretty, uh, choppy as well. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
1: Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, nah, everything's peachy. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving.
0: Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of the uh, Air Force block.
1: Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of
2: Control podcast. Five One Two Three declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 one left.
1: We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control
2: wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
0: Dave, we got some great questions coming in, and I want oh, to. Oh, fantastic! Great. A couple of these. Uh, here's one from Bonito uh, from the Real Vision site. The, the The substance of the question is, Dave, can you find any other way to explain today's price action, kind of other than uh, the the late tape cycle? So, in other words, are there any other ways that you think about this that we haven't touched on, or is this kind of the main window through which you view?
1: Well, I don't think there always has to be a story or a reason. Sometimes it just is. You know, a lot of right. buyers stepped in, a lot of sellers stepped in, and I know that sounds overly simplistic, and it might even sound patronizing, it's not meant to sound that way, we, you know, we always want to latch onto something to, to give us a reason for that. And I get that. We're human beings. But I don't usually look at it that way. I just look at it from the standpoint of selling pressure seems to be leading, buying pressure tends to, uh, tend is, is uh, leading right now. And I just go with that. I'm not looking for the reason, because while I'm looking for the reason, I'm missing out on why I should be long or why I should be short. Right. And frankly, it doesn't really matter. I mean, all I'm interested in in is am I in at a good point and can I sell it at a higher price? That's that's the only reason I'm looking for.
0: Better to be able to make money than to know the reason.
1: I've I've talked to a lot of people over the years who have reasons out the wazoo, but yeah, (laughs) they don't know how to trade. (laughs) So (laughs)
0: <laughs> Here's a great question uh, from Jay uh, from YouTube. Uh, we're talking about this earlier market depth liquidity, and the question is uh, how does one find out how much buying uh, or liquidity is in the market? Are there indicators uh, or references that you look at, Dave?
1: I'm just looking at time and sales. you know I'm doing it the old fashioned way. Uh, I came up you know I came into the industry that way, looking at time and sales, and i'm I have an ability to read that, and anybody can get that ability. You just got to look at it every day and that's where you're going to see the volume. You're going to see where the prices are taking place at it, the volume, the size of the bid and the offer. That's to me where the kind of the secret, not the secret. That's where the that's where the edge is garnered. By watching the flow, you you know your levels. Those are as objective as they come. There's no subjectivity to them. They're just the price levels that you're looking at. Then when those get to those levels, you're looking to see how the market's reacting and how it's trading relative to that. And that's really where the edge gets carved out. But it's basically a time and sales window. It's watching the tape. Right. And that's why you know, it, it, it takes a tremendous amount of concentration. It's also the reason that I think this is an important thing. If you're shorter term trading, be it stocks or futures, you're only trading the first hour and a half and the last hour and a half, maybe even just the first hour, last hour. If you're trading, trying to intraday trade, you know, middle of the day, by and large, there are of course anomalies and outliers. It's a waste of time. The the flows are gone. The flows are juiciest on the open and on the close. And that's where you're going to be able to read what's happening in the market.
0: Yeah, really interesting and an important insight uh, for people who are thinking about markets uh, in this way, perhaps for the first time. Dave, great conversation. Final thoughts, key takeaways uh, that you'd like to sketch out uh, as we get to the end of this conversation. Um. Not really. I mean, and again, not to say that I don't have
1: anything to say, but it, for me, where we are right now, given the way the market's trading, I'm really just kind of taking it day to day. I'm not trying to say, you know, I think S and P's are going to be the here in a week. You asked me that question a month ago. I might have had a different answer because the volatility wasn't quite as high, and I was maybe framing my trade slightly longer term. But for me, right now, after what happened today, I'd be coming in bullish. I don't have any levels off the top of my head because I don't have that particular chart in front of me right here. Um, but I'd be looking to probably lean bullish tomorrow, and um, you know, as long as we don't pull back too far, you know, we we have the possibility, emphasized possibility, of maybe moving a little bit higher in the market.
0: Yeah. Before we close out, I wanted to take a look. At a, at a clip. Uh, this is on Real Vision's platform today uh, for Essential Plus and Pro subscribers. Uh, this is Rao's uh, macro masterclass on recession, inflation, and the markets to take it from the tactical to the strategic, from uh, the trading to what's happening more broadly from a macro perspective. Let's take a look at that clip.
2: It is an unbelievable time. The world has never lived through a period of time of Metcalfe's law adoption curves on top of Metcalfe's law adoption curves, creating Reed's law, which is a ridiculously powerful moment in time. We've got this aging population. It's creating tremendous fear because the rate of technological advance is so dramatic. We've never lived anything through it in such a short period of time. But you want to own that bloody stuff. You don't want to fear it. And I see people on Twitter all day. It's like, oh, Kathy Wood, these people are awful. Who wants to own a Tesla? You're fighting the biggest logarithmic trend we are ever going to see. That is the opportunity of a lifetime. So I want to be a buyer when I see that the inflation story goes away. I'm looking to buy growth. In fact, I put out a trade recommendation in Global Macro Investor and in in, um, Macro Insiders about this by using a whole group of a whole basket. Of these exponential names. I've been following for 18 months. I haven't pulled the trigger on any of them before, including things like ARC, where I've said, let's average in over eight weeks because I think the market might have this 2018 spike low, but I'm not sure. I don't have the visibility. And if we get a recession, what are the Fed going to do? Well, the Fed are going to print. And what does that do to these stocks? Well, real rates fall, those stocks explode higher, and they're already very oversold.
0: So there you have it, Rao. Uh, talking about the broader macro picture. It's interesting, Dave, uh, to have that conversation uh, in the context of our conversations today that's very tactical uh, and very trading-oriented. When you hear people who are thinking about things from a macro perspective, what view do you think uh, the trading perspective can come to inform on that? Is it something, for example, of just timing uh, of entry and exit points? Uh, can you think about some other potential uh, uses for the, that, that framework uh, of thinking?
1: It's a it's a really good question. And you know, I think Raul's onto something. At some point, there's going to be some good bargains to be had. There's always going to be the flip side argument of, you know, you know, earnings are still lofty, you know, all the stuff that I don't usually focus on. But, you know, the market tends to go up over time. Let's be honest. And we have a very proactive Fed. And Raul alluded to that. You know, if the economy starts to soften, that's going to really put the brakes on, you know, any rate hike. So at some point. Stocks, certain stocks are going to be attractive, no doubt about it. Uh, to answer your question, though, is one of, this is one of the, the things that I was really pleased about in terms of attending the, um, the macro experience down in Del Mar a couple of weeks. Because um, when they asked me to come, I was like, the macro experience, you want the short-term technical guy to talk to you? Know, did you get the right guy here? But it made sense. And the case I made down there and the case I'll make here is that technicals, are the ultimate complement to someone's macro view or fundamental view. And right. I can point to many, many cases that, you know, you've got certain levels on charts, whether it be a daily chart or a weekly chart, the level's the level. You could put that level on a one-minute chart and do something with it. You can put it on a daily chart and do something with it. So I think if you know some really objective technical levels, which is what I look for in everything that I do, and you marry that with a good macro view. When those two come together, I, I actually think that that's a robust trading opportunity. I think where macro can be a little um, a little challenging, I mean, not that all investing in trading isn't challenging, but I think where macro can be a little bit more challenging is that you're trying to get the timing. That's your view based on what you've looked at, and that's wonderful. It may be very well thought out, kind of the same way that people do technical analysis. It may be beautiful, it may be technically perfect according to all the rules. But unless the rest of the market cares about it at the same time, that view doesn't really go anywhere. So that's why I think marrying a good, solid technical backdrop with a macro backdrop is, you know, probably the, the the better way to approach it. So, you know, for those of you for those out there that are looking for those cheap bargains, let's say on an arc or whatever it may be, do some homework. Find a technical level, and again, there, there's a lot more to it than just finding a level. There's, there's, uh, there's an approach to it so that your technical level is a level that is recognized by the market at large, meaning because a lot of volume has taken place over there at that level over time in terms of frequency. That's how I define levels. I don't define levels as some subjective trend line that I draw in because, again, that's subjective. That's how I'm viewing the market. I'm not smart enough to know, you know when that will work. But what I am smart enough to know is that I want to know I want to be active in the, in the market when the rest of the market, you know, theoretically is also looking at that same level because that's where I know I'm going to get an inflection point. That's where there's going to be an opportunity. That's how you correctly trade levels. Identify the levels that other people are going to be interested in. So that's how I'd answer that.
0: Dave, that ties it all together perfectly. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I think Real Vision is so much fun is that we get to have these conversations across time horizons from different perspectives. Uh, and by the way, I would love to see uh you and Mike Green uh looking at markets, walking through the charts together. I think that would be an absolute blast.
1: I think it would be. Mike's got so much to talk about that I think can really, can really help an individual trader um conceptualize and understand market structure, which does have an impact. Um, and as I was telling Brian, you know, I was having coffee with Mike down in San Diego. And by the end of the conversation, I was like, wow, this guy's really smart. I maybe got 50% of what he's talking about, which is why I would love to talk to him on air, kind of going back and forth about this, because I want to get more clarity on what he's talking about in this in terms of this market depth issue. Because
0: I think he's got a PEG. Yeah. Dave, thank you so much for joining us again.
1: My pleasure, Ash. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. And thanks to everybody behind the scenes there, too.
0: Thanks again for watching Real Vision's The Daily Briefing. Warren Pies will be back tomorrow with Tom Thornton. Uh, Obviously, as we close out this day, it's been a wild day in markets. Everything ended in the green, but we know that US GDP is currently negative. Uh, We're thinking about all of that right here at Real Vision, and we're excited to host this Global Recession Is Everyone Wrong series. For Real Vision subscribers, it's absolutely free. Uh, If you're not a subscriber, go check out realvision.com forward slash Global Recession. That's realvision.com forward slash global recession to learn more. And by the way, in 30 minutes at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm going to be joined by Real Vision founder and CEO Ral Powell uh, as we continue a conversation about all of these topics and more on Twitter spaces. Hope to see you there. Have a nice night, everyone. <laughs>